Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. Thanks for joining us on this Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Joining me today is Bloomberg Sports business writer Evan Novi Williams. Michael Barr is off. Today, Mr. Novi Williams, we begin with one near and dear to your heart. The guys riding the bikes in France where the spectators knock them down, and there's a guy in a BMX flying over the top. I have exhausted my knowledge of the Tour de France. Go. Wow, opening up right with it, huh? Yeah, this I you you have been saying for how long has this been going on already? Two and a half weeks. You've been saying for two and a half weeks that you want to discuss the Tour de France. And now that the so moment here's has your come, chance. I, I don't know what we're going to discuss, <laughs> but go ahead. I feel kind of like Barr when he talks NASCAR. You know, you're the I'm expert. pushing a fairly obscure sport that I know that a lot of our listeners uh, don't love. But yes, the Tour de France, one of my favorite annual sporting events. Whoa, whoa, whoa. A lot of our listeners right are probably now. cyclists. True. This is a good chance, by the way, to see if Steve Horowitz listens to the show. We get a personal <laughs> shout-out. One, uh, one of our favorite One of our favorite guys. There. Yeah, he likes to cycle. He has invited you to go to, what, Piermont? From Manhattan up to Piermont. It's the best ride there is out of the city. I, that's a commercial. Best ride there is. <laughs> that's a commercial. I don't remember what it is. Is it Piermont? It's like, it's like Carmel Car Service or something. Not a sponsor, but... Yeah, let's get to the so, professionals. Um, Tour de France has been going on. I love it. It's a great event. I enjoy watching it. Most people do not. There's some fun business stuff as well. Um, there's a guy named Lawson Craddock, who's one of the few American cyclists in the in the event. He broke his shoulder, shattered his scapula, the first the first stage of the race. Um, he, they were in France. Um, don't remember exactly where in France. Uh, to water bottle popped off someone else's bike, hits his front wheel. He goes over, hits a spectator, shatters oh, his shoulder. Now, he wasn't going to win the race. He's not an overall contender, um, but pretty much ruined his whole race. He was raising money for a velodrome down in Houston. You know, he was expecting to raise $2,000. Okay. Now, suddenly, he is the darling of I'm cameras more. and fans. Right. The fact that he's been riding for the past two weeks with a, with a broken shoulder. Uh, he's now raised $130,000. How much is the velodrome? Going. How much is the velodrome? I would cost? imagine it doesn't cost that much. <laughs> this thing's going to have, like, uh, HDTVs. Yeah, uh, keep GoFundMing uh, me. Go yeah, funding his Houston Cowboy-style screen. Um, one of the better stories of the tournament. They, they just went over cobblestones a couple days ago. I'm sure you can imagine ow, that. Ow, ow, yeah. Ow, ow. Yeah, very painful. <laughs> He's asking teammates to take cliff bars out of the back of his jersey because he can't reach oh, back and God. grab them himself. Does he, he can barely hold on to the things, but he's gutting it out and he's raising a lot of money for a good cause. All right, so give me some other. What? Give me what is the big picture business of sports story with the Tour de France? If people here aren't watching it, yeah, the 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 big. You're watching it. You're watching it on OTT. I'm right. watching it on NBC Sportsnet. Yeah. Okay, okay, so digitally, okay. yeah. Um, the big story right now: there is a, a, a dramatic imbalance, and we've talked about it in soccer as well, between teams that have a lot of money and teams that don't. And the teams that have a lot of money obviously can pay for the best riders, and and a team in cycling is really important. Helps you break wind for your best riders. You Did know, you just it's say a, break wind. It's, it's what it is. Mm. Not in the not in the childish <laughs> you're smiling kind of way, but in the real actual breaking wind kind of way. Uh, so this team, Team Sky, you know, which is the richest team. They've won the past four of the past five events. They're dominant, you know. And at this point in the state at the tour right now, the guy who was supposed to win this team, Skyrider, is in second place, and the guy in first place is his teammate. You know, they are they are so dominant that even their riders who are supposed to be working so is the for teammate going to win or is the dominant? We're not sure. Win? You know, they're, they're both kind of working together now. Whereas in the past, do this they guy compete? Is like the team head go to the second place guy and go? Oh, this isn't. Remember, they're, this they're, is the other guy's. They're thing. competing, but there are moments where you know one of them goes on a breakaway and then. The other one isn't supposed to be working to track them down. You know, you're supposed to be waiting for other people to, to track down your teammate. It's going to get a little hairy, but the point is that a lot of people now are clamoring for a, a salary cap. 
You know, it, it looks kind of like European soccer in that there are a few teams that have any chance to I'll win bet it. I you and none of the riders else. are clamoring for a salary cap. Well, the riders are clamoring for revenue sharing. You know, which is cycling is one of those sports where riders don't get any cut of the of the media money. Whereas, you know, here in the U.S., we're so used to relatively strong unions and some form of 50-50 share. Uh, and it's not a huge sport here in the U.S., but in France, in Spain, in Belgium, in the Netherlands, uh, this is must-watch sports TV, and those rights are, are fairly expensive. So there is a, there is a piece of the money that, that riders want to get. And then there are also people, smaller team owners, managers, etc., that are saying, we need a salary cap. We can't compete with Team Sky. Uh, we, we need some kind of level playing field. Okay, let me, can I impress for a minute? Can I impress Go the ahead. audience? So we are through the Altruez and headed to the Pyrenees. Yes. Thank we, you. We've gone Thank through you. the Alps. Thank you very much. The Pyrenees start uh, later this week. Thank you very much. Yeah, very nice. Good Thank for you. you. And not that I want our listeners to turn their attention elsewhere. I have not sampled, but you have told me on more than one occasion now that Lance Armstrong's podcast is fantastic. I highly recommend Lance's podcast. He is, uh, as people out there know, he's fairly brash. He's kind of curmudgeon-y, but uh, he rode this event, and don't look on Wikipedia, but he did win it a number of times uh, before they were taken away. He knows a lot about it. He has guests on that also know a lot about it. It gives you an inside look at what, for my money, has to be the most grueling annual sporting event out there. The things these guys put their bodies through is amazing, but also kind of everything that happens behind the scenes, the tactics, things like that, that you might not pick up on if you just turn NBC on in the morning. And I watch certainly the would not pick up on. But there's a lot going on there. It's, it's a very, it's a fascinating race. Now, everybody told me now the tour is cleaned up. No more doping, no more <laughs> of all this. You tell me, have the time slowed down? Where do we stand in the battle of clean sport and this particular race where it seemed it was a wash in cheats. So I, cer- I certainly don't know for sure. Of uh, times have slowed a bit, you know, which which leads a lot of people to think that that, that maybe the the heavy drug use that was rampant on the, in this event five or six years ago might not be happening now. I believe it's probably a, a bit cleaner, um, but I, I mean it would be naive, just like in the, any sport out there professionally, it would be naive to think that that it is uh, entirely clean or even. Mostly clean at this point. Medina, are you watching this? Are you watching the Tour de France at all? I actually did watch just a little bit yesterday. What did like you think? How, how many minutes? I want to say maybe about three. Right, oh. that's about that's, that's my threshold as well. I'm like, okay, they're but riding. But they go a I'm, mile in those three minutes. Well, I want to know if someone like falls. Right, okay, so you're uh, like a NASCAR, but if there's a crash. You'd right. like Lawson crash. How cool would this be? Do you think we could do it? How fun would a podcast be if you, me, and Barr got on bikes and actually had to exert ourselves. Like, obviously, you would have no trouble. You're the triathlete guy, whatever. I'm, like, the semi-out-of-shape, used-to-be-athlete guy, and then how do we characterize Barr? Hasn't Uh, been on a bike in a while? Old man Barr. Old man Barr. He does. We'll characterize it the way he does. Old man Barr. I think you're suggesting this just because you want to see Michael Barr uh, on a bicycle. Yeah, I think. Are we dressing up in the full Lycra? Because I I don't know if I want to see Michael Barr in the full Lycra. Absolutely not. (laughs) I don't know if I want to see any of you you in the full Lycra. I I take offense. Legit. (laughs) (laughs) On that, we can move on to the New York Mets. A story we broke here at Bloomberg. Do I pat myself on the back? Yeah, that's great. You broke. I broke. That the Mets, about 10% of the Mets is soon to be on the market. And part of that is going to be Comcast and Charter through their ownership of SNY. These are all dating back to the shares that people bought 
when Fred Wilpon and Saul Katz needed money because they were being sued by the trustee in the Madoff estate. Um, this is the same kind of set of shares that Bill Maher bought one of and yeah, Jerry yeah, Seinfeld tw- bought $20 million dollar shares, but those are divvied up, so there could be multiple buyers for a, one of the $20 million dollar shares. So what are we to make of this coming to market now at a time when there are no control, there's no voting rights, there's no board seat, there's no nothing, as they say. At the time, it came with a chance to meet Mr. Met, get a special card that said owner. Most so, expensive meeting <laughs> ever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and there could be more, right? There was a, all these people that bought in were given kind of an option that extended through 2018, right? There's a there's something in those clauses that means they can get out na- starting this year. Is that right? They, they can start to get out. They can go to market. The Mets can buy them back at fair market value. Uh, unlikely to do so. So the sellers are dipping their toes in. These are, uh, from what I understand, these are motivated sellers. Comcast and Charter never wanted to own the piece of the New York Mets. They did this as a favor to Wilpon and Katz, longtime business partners. <laughs> who needed money? They're in the network. Then. Who needed the money? Right. That. So this was done as a favor. Now they're looking to get out. Uh, but you wonder where, where's the worth? What's the value? What do you do with it? We, we talk about this a lot. I I, st- I still don't really understand why you why anyone would really want to buy a minority stake in a team unless it came with a board seat or as we saw with Josiah and the Nets, an option in the future path to be to control, the guy. They say. Path, the, to yeah, path to control. Um, well, my, I would say this: there are some reasons. I, I wrote a magazine story years ago. Why people buy one, two, three, four percent of teams? Well, that's one. Yeah. They can always, you know, the accountant told them you have to do it. But there, there are people who did it. One is a way to get an advantage in their core business. It's a cool thing to do if you can take a meeting in the clubhouse. If you can go to the game and bring bring a prospective client into the Mets clubhouse or on the field. That's not something that everybody can offer. And Arthur Blank said that's one reason he knew people did it. Mm-hmm. And then there's, I mean, there's always the cool factor. We know that. And then the big one, and I heard this from more than one person, is that it was a training ground. They were thinking about getting involved as managing general partners of professional sports teams, but they just wanted to dip the toe in, sort of learn the business as an LP, and see if it was really something they were ready to commit big dollars to. Because as you know, these things do not come cheap these days. Okay, so there's a number of different stakes up for the Mets right now. Smarter or to, to combine them into one? Let's say there's, it's not this exactly, but let's say there are three, four million, four percent stakes out there. Better to sell that as one 12% stake or is it better to sell that as 12 1% stakes? It depends. If somebody wants five, they'll sell five. If somebody wants the whole shebang, and I understand it's more than 10%, They'll sell the whole shebang. Mm. So it, it just depends on the buyer. And let's not forget, as we mentioned, Bill Maher and Jerry Seinfeld. Those are two guys that have no goals of owning a major league franchise in, in the future. They probably are not taking meetings within City Field. There's also some kind of there, there's people out there that want to spend money just to own a piece of the team that they grew up watching. And we that, know Steve that, Cohen. That money is real as we well. We know Steve Cohen wants the Mets. I wonder if he just wants to sort of. He's <laughs> not going to have a majority. Yeah, but you know whatever. Whatever's on the whatever something comes on the market, Steve Cohen puts his hand up and says, "I'll take sure. that." Does the does the way the team is performing on the field matter at all in, in these negotiations? Nah, long term hold. I, I don't think so. Moving on. Guess what's still out there? Guess what we're still talking about? Um, NFL players the, kneeling the, during the, the NFL. Anthem. Can, <laughs> can you believe that this flared up again? It's so poorly managed by by the powers that be in the NFL, and, and and at this point, I guess you kind of have to include the union 
in some capacity as, as as well. The fact that we are still talking about this, that Donald Trump is still tweeting about it, that it is still this huge contentious issue between players, ownership, commissioner, and fans well, let's, uh, is let's amazing. Explain. Let's explain what happened this time around. Again, sure. In the handbook for the Dolphins... Yeah, away. the Dolphins, they listed uh, the, the the punishment that, that they, I mean, they were essentially reserving the right to to, to, to punish players who, who were on the field during the anthem and knelt during it. Um, and it was in the section of their handbook included in you Conduct know, missing detrimental curf- to the team. curfew all the way through other things. Suspension could, could be a four-game suspension, could be a fine. I mean, it, was, it was all very nebulous. And the Dolphins' reasoning was that and and other teams don't seem to have interpreted it this way, but they said that they needed to have everything on the books before people reported. And they reported early. Camp. They were they were one of the early reporters, exactly. so there might be something. So to it. so they said it was more of like a placeholder. But al- know, alarm of, bells went off right away. Exactly. Four game suspension for this now. Yeah, which I mean, I would imagine if if the the season had started and the Dolphins suspended someone four games for kneeling during the national anthem, there would have been a massive uproar. And and, and we don't honestly, we don't know if. The plan was to give them four game suspensions, or the plan was to be a ten thousand dollar fine, but or whatever it is. The, the NFL booted it back to the teams, and now you've got like yeah, Chris Johnson of the Jets saying, "Don't worry about and it." And you've the got Mara Steve Tisch saying, "Don't Tish, worry yeah. about it." And every team is setting its own policy, and it's going to depend on what market you're in and what your fan base is. What a mess! Well, I mean, we were joking last November, I think, that that this has gone on too long. Yeah. You know, that we were a month and a half into into the whole anthem problem back then and we felt as though the nfl had managed managed to keep it in the spotlight way longer than it should have now we're even further oh it's going into the, the line. season it's going to be it's a topic absolutely again. i mean we're gonna the season starts and people are going to be watching eagle-eyed who's going to stay in the locker room who's going to come out you're certainly going to see players that come out and raise a fist take a knee uh etc they have they sure would. yeah and 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 you but know, this is also some about teams leverage. are probably going to punish them. And in CBA talks, the players don't yep. often have the leverage. This is an issue where right now, I don't know what they're asking, what they want, what they possibly, but this, this is one of those issues where DeMora Smith certainly has a fair amount of leverage over Roger Goodell, who does not want this to continue. And his teams do not want it. The sponsors certainly don't want it. They want this to go away and put the focus back on football. But unfortunately, this hurts players sure. as well, right? Sure. I mean, if if this does hurt the owner's bottom line, you know, the, the players yeah, share know, about 50% of the that. The money's fine. The money will always be there. <laughs> All right, we only have a little bit of time left, but just for fun, let's talk about Ronaldo. Everybody knows he went to Juventus, not Juventus. I like Juve, but anyway. Juve. 520,000 jerseys in a day. That's about sixty that million like dollars worth of Ronaldo jerseys in twenty four hours. The team probably gets eight or nine million of that. So not bad. On I mean, what was the transfer fee? One hundred and thirty million or something. That, yeah. It was like one hundred and thirty million. <laughs> but hey, nine million in one day, you'll take it. Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly shows the, the the power that Ronaldo getting older in his career still has. Um, we see it in the U.S. Also, you know, when when a player, the Le, LeBron James, the 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 twenty four hours after his Lakers jersey went on sale was was a monstrous uh, day of business. When superstars change change teams, they they sell a lot of jerseys. Uh, it does not. I mean, as you said, the the team's not getting all of that sixty million. Obviously, they're probably getting a very small percentage of that. A lot of these deals are licensing deals. They're not sponsorship deals. What about confusion if you're if you're the uh, the companies? Ronaldo's a Nike guy. And Juventus sponsored by Adidas. So who's less happy there? That's a good question. Um, I would assume Nike's not happy. I, he Wouldn't he want all I mean, associations? If I look at Ronaldo, 
I want if I'm Nike, I want people thinking swoosh. Yeah, but again, the if you look at Ronaldo's Twitter following or Instagram following versus yeah. what rivals Juventus yours. has. It is, I mean, leaps and bounds. And you're not going to see, outside of photos of him playing, you're not going to see Ronaldo in Adidas. You know, Ronaldo is a Nike, a Nike guy when he's wearing sneakers and taking care of his kid or playing soccer by the pool or with a shirt off on the beach in Saint-Tropez. There's Cristiano gonna be Ronaldo Nike. with his shirt off? Why did you put him <laughs> in the gonna beach? Be Nike. Why don't you just say after scoring? Yeah, so I think that, that Nike comes out still a bit ahead, even though on the field he'll be wearing a, an Adidas jersey. All right, this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. I'm Scott Soshnick. You can find me on Twitter at Soshnick. And I'm Eben Novi Williams. You can find me at Novi underscore Williams. Change that. We are here each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday exploring the world of money and sports. Join us again at the end of the week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. You are listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world and online as an Apple podcast on iTunes. 